I learned several things during the times of brokenness. I want to share them with you. When I am in the state of brokenness, God is trying to teach me one, two, or more. He could be trying to get my attention, and that's the only way He's going to get it. (laughs) Or He could be stripping me of pride and misplaced confidence. Or He could be trying to get me to do something far better and far greater than I ever thought possible. And I know I've been there at least twice, maybe three times. Or he could be waiting to see for me to trust him more, to trust him fully, to trust him totally. Or could be all of the other four. If I chart my life, you're going to find that the times of my brokenness where the times of my greatest spiritual growth. Oh, to be sure, I'm like everybody else. I, I would rather be in the mountaintop and experience the mountaintop success all the time. Of course, that's human nature. And yet, those times are not the times when there's a lot of spiritual growth happens in my life. Someone said brokenness is the only diet that reduces a fat head. Now, prosperity is a teacher, but let me tell you, adversity is a greater teacher. And certainly Moses experienced both success and failure. He has experienced both prosperity and adversity. And I'm praying that the Lord would take those things that He taught Moses, and He was working with Moses, and as we see God interacts with Moses, and you know how God interacts with you and your personal relationship with Him, and your walk with Him, that He will use this to bless you and to encourage you today. I don't know where you are on this spectrum. You know exactly where you are. But this is how kind of the average person's life, the average Christian life that we go through. We go from mountaintop to brokenness, and then we go to a greater height when we learn the lessons. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I have friends who are on every one of this spectrum. They're in different stages, each of them a different place. Today we'll see Moses, who gave up the world's gold for God's glory, experiencing both success and failure, experiencing both the palace and the tent experiencing the shades of luxury and the heat of the desert, the scorching heat of the desert. In Hebrews chapter 11, as you look at the life of Moses and the author, which is the Holy Spirit, says, by faith Moses turned his back on the power and the wealth of Egypt in order to choose instead the suffering with God's people in obedience to God. As I said before, that does not mean everyone has to go through this, but sometimes we do. And we saw in the last message, Hebrews eleven twenty three, that by that same faith, the Bible said, by faith, Moses' parents exercised that faith on his behalf, and by faith, Moses' parents risked their life to keep him and save him. And sure enough, they devised this plan of putting him in this basket at the age of three months, and they placed that basket right there in the edge of the river Nile, where they knew that Pharaoh's daughter comes to swim every morning. And sure enough, she comes across that basket, looks at that beautiful baby, and she says, I want to adopt this baby. But in the end, Moses' birth mother ended up nursing him 
and got paid for it. And she was protected by the very Pharaoh who would have killed Moses and wanted to kill all the boys, in the Hebrew boys in Egypt. But Moses got to spend the first five years, possibly six, with his birth mother and father. He had the privilege of spending those formative years with his real parents before they had to deliver him back to his adopted mother, that is Pharaoh's daughter. But those first five years of Moses' life proved to be so extremely important in his development. During those years, no doubt, his parents taught him and engraved in the cortex of his brain and his memories how God has been faithful, how He was faithful to Abraham, how He is faithful to Jacob, how He was faithful to Joseph who brought them into Egypt to begin with, how God has been faithful through the years. Education specialists tell us that the first five years in a child's life are the most formative years, are the most important years. In fact, they say children, whatever they learn in those first five years, serve as a foundation on which their whole life is based. Mercifully, those same experts say that if you miss those five years, you get a second chance between nine and twelve. The following 35 years, he received the best of secular education in Egypt. I mean, it is the best. But they could not erase the first five years. <laughs> As adopted grandson of Pharaoh, Moses was given the best of education. And as most of you know, ancient Egyptians at that time had the very first written language. They excelled in mathematics and in geometry. They had advanced knowledge of astronomy and architecture. They were the first to develop brain surgery and tooth filling. They developed most of the ancient warfare techniques. Listen to me. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you the facts, okay? <laughs> Moses would have been trained in the temple of Heliopolis. Back then, it was the Oxford and the Harvard of the world at that time. Despite of that, he was also educated. <laughs> because you can be schooled but not educated, right? At Heliopolis University, Moses would have been trained in all these subjects that I just shared with you. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that when there was a war between Egypt and Ethiopia, Moses was appointed the general who led the war and led it victoriously. And so here he is, the most educated man in the world at that time. But that was not all. He was also strong and powerful. Obviously, he's been spending a lot of hours in the palace gym working out pumping iron. You say, Michael, how do you know that? Well, with one punch, he killed a man. But actually, more than that, the Bible said in Acts 7.22, Moses was powerful in speech and action. Now, listen to me. I want you to remember that. Tuck it in your brain as we go through the series, because I'm going to show you the time is going to come when Moses totally lost his self-confidence. Ah, but God built his confidence in him. See, when Moses traveled in his golden Ferrari chariot, people bowed to him. You see, when he came down the Nile in his royal yacht, 
People lined up the banks of the river trying to catch a glimpse of him <laughs> as the music played. Oh, he was a prince. Don't forget that. He was a prince. And yet, through it all, he was thinking of his childhood training, of his childhood memory of Yahweh and his people and the suffering of his people and the salvation of his people. Not only that, but he was probably concerned, first and foremost, of how he, Moses, can deliver them. Of how he, Moses, can release them from that misery. Of how he, Moses, can rescue them out of the mud pit and out of the lashes of the whips of the slave masters. And so one day, he saw an opportunity and he took it. Isn't that what they tell you? Grab for it. Your opportunity comes. Grab it, both hands. Yes. But not when it comes to your spiritual walk. Not when you're trying to discern the mind of God. And so he saw this slave driver beating up on two Hebrews, and he said, this is it. This is my opportunity. This is my moment. This is my time. Just like many of us. When Moses saw this abuse, the Bible said he looked to the left and then he looked to the right, and he saw that nobody was watching, and he killed the guy. Not only that, he buried him in the sand. My beloved, precious, special friend, please listen to me. When you take matters into your own hand, when you're not at the very center of obedience, you'll always look to the right and to the left. You always make sure nobody's watching. Always nobody knows. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> it was not God's timing. It was not God's timing. Not only did he kill the slave driver, he buried him. Here's a principle I hope that you'll never forget. When you're doing something wrong, you will look to the right and the left. When you're doing something wrong, you convince yourself nobody knows. It's my secret. <laughs> but when you know that you're doing the will of God in obedience to the Word of God, when you know that you're honoring God and you're doing something that is pleasing to the Lord, you could not care less who's looking, who's seeing, and who knows. In fact, you want everybody to know, right? I don't care about it. When you're doing your own thing, and being out of the will of God, when you get into the do-it-yourself religion, <laughs> you will spend time and energy and effort trying to bury the consequences of your disobedience. What was Moses thinking? If I bury this Egyptian, nobody will know, right? Nobody will know. That secret affair that you may be having, that secret liaison, that secret thing that you do in secret and think nobody knows, Nobody knows. I'm, nobody's watching. God is watching. God is watching. That's why the Bible said, be sure your sins will find you out. They'll find you out. You can try to bury the results of your disobedience. You can bury your secret sin. You can try to bury your pride. You can try to bury the evidence, but it will always haunt you, always rise to the surface of your memory. 
But thank God, there is a place in which you can bury your sins. There is a place where you can bury your guilt. There is a place where you can bury the consequences of disobedience. There is only one place, and that is through confession and repentance, and you place them under the blood of Jesus. Amen? Please listen carefully. Listen carefully. Whenever you become more concerned about what people think or what people say, more than what God thinks or what God says, you are in danger zone. I warn you as a brother who have been there many times. You're in danger zone. Some of you perhaps say, well, wait, wait a minute, Michael. Moses did something very selfless. He selflessly acted. Moses was defending the oppressed. Moses was sincere. Moses thought that this is the way to help God out. <laughs> Listen, you can do what you think is right with the best of your intentions, but is it the will of God? Is it God's timing? Is it what God commands? Is it consistent with the Word of God or going contrary to the Word of God? Is it done in obedience to God? You say, but you know, if that's what we're all going to do, nothing is going to get done. That's what I also used to think. If I didn't do it, we'll never get done. <laughs> Thank God He disabused me of that. I want you to remember what I'm going to tell you. There is no substitute for obedience. Are you with me? Even in the Old Testament, God looked down and said, wait a minute. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It's a time when they're sacrificing at a drop of a hat. Obedience is better than a sacrifice. So let me repeat it again. There is no substitute for obedience. Let's say it together. There is no substitute. The good news is God gives us a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and fiftieth chance, and a hundred chance. <laughs> now, God is always a God of second chances. He never gets tired. I sometimes feel that when I go back to God and say, Michael, you've been here on this same issue for 1,250 times. I know he doesn't. That's my flesh. And that is why the Apostle Paul said, even when our conscience condemn us, he's greater than our conscience. Amen? And that is why later we're going to see Moses going into God's university. And God's university is very different from Heliopolis, let me tell you. It's very different school altogether. And that is why later on we see Moses, this great man of God, after he's been through God's university in the desert, a man who was reared in the palace, and yet he espoused the cause of God's people. Moses, who was nursed in the lap of luxury, is now embraced adversity. Moses, the man who was reared in the school of despots, yet he became a champion of liberty. Moses, who was long associated with oppressors, took the side of the oppressed. That is why he had the crown of Pharaoh, but he chose the cross of Christ. That's what happens after you graduate from God's university. That will be your story. You see, before all of that, before that happened, when Moses jumped ahead of God, he paid the price. Let me ask you this. Please, let that question sink deep. Are you going through 
school right now? Are you going through God's university right now? Are you feeling that the lessons are crushing? The lessons are hard. Remember this. Graduation day is coming. Can you say that with me? Graduation day is coming. Praise God. Praise God. And I'm here to testify that graduation day comes. It does. It doesn't matter how many years it takes, graduation day comes. I often tell you that when I'm expounding the Scripture, I try to put myself in that time and in that person's place. Sadly, some modern preachers do the opposite. They impose modern culture and pop psychology on biblical times, and it backfires. People don't really grow through it. But put yourself in Moses' place. You have everything going for you. You have the world at your feet. You are staring at the stairwell of the throne of the most powerful nation in the world. You are physically powerful. You are socially popular. You can do no wrong. What's wrong with that? Very simply, God cannot use you. Listen to me. God does not use powerful, arrogant, unbroken people to be His instruments. Even when He called pagan kings, just as Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, when He called him my servant, when He had to serve God's purpose, God had to break him. He had to humble him. He was like an animal grazing in the field. And so God had to first strip Moses of that veneer so that he may build him up to be a great champion for God. Often God has to break the masks in order the real person that he sees in us comes out. (laughs) God had to take away the Mr. Egypt title in order that he may be the godly man, the meekest man on the face of the earth. God had to strip Moses of the garments of Pharaoh in order that he may be clothed with the righteousness of God. Beloved, that's biblical. That's throughout the Scripture. You see it again and again, because it was through the breaking down of Jacob's strength in Penel that the real Israel came out. It was the breaking of the rock in Mount Horeb where God's water gushed out and quenched the thirst of God's people. It was through the breaking of the pitchers with Gideon's chosen 300 soldiers that victory was won over the Midianite. It was through the breaking of the five loaves that Jesus was able to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. It was in Mary's breaking of her alabaster ointment box that she filled the room with beautiful aroma to anoint the feet of Jesus. It was only when Jesus Himself, the holy, righteous, sinless Son of God, has His body broken on the cross that redemption poured out to repentant sinners. God specializes in using brokenness. He does. That is His speciality. And so take heart. Take heart. Rejoice in the middle of your brokenness, because you are about to experience greater height than you ever thought possible when you learn the lesson of your brokenness. 
When Moses acted out of his emotions and out of impulse and out of feelings instead of obedience, what happened? He got into trouble. (laughs) And he brought brokenness on himself. But sometimes, because I know some of you saying, well, Michael, I didn't do anything to bring about my brokenness. My brokenness came into my life unwelcomed, unwanted. I'm experiencing brokenness right now that I can't explain. I cannot point my finger on something. I search myself, and I don't want to put you on the guilt trip here, okay? Because many times brokenness comes to us not sought, not requested, not wanted and unwelcome. But in either case, God specializes in turning brokenness into glorious opportunities. Amen? If you're willing to learn, He will create a beautiful tapestry out of your brokenness. And so please, 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 please be very careful when you act out of emotions and sentimentality and uh, feelings uh, and not obedience. Here's the problem with this slippery slope of always acting out of emotions and impulses and feelings and not out of obedience. You will keep on going in a downward spiral, downward direction, until you stop and say, Lord, help! (laughs) And God says, okay, now I got you where I really want you. Maybe someone here today would say, Michael, I really don't know how. I, I, I don't know how to discern the will of God, let alone obey it, but I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. I remember reading many, many years ago, one of the old preachers of yesteryears, he was speaking to a group of graduates from Moody Bible Institute, actually, and uh, considering the ministry, and some are wavering. And he said, if you're not willing, are you willing to be made willing? That stuck with me. If you're not willing, are you willing to be made willing? That's all that God is asking for. Okay? Lord, I don't know, but I'm willing to be made willing. Help me obey you. You know, like the centurion who came to Jesus, and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Listen, this is not Christian double talk. This is real. This is honesty. And I've done this many times in my life when I'm really not sure, when I'm uncertain. I say, Lord, I am handing you the decision-making process. Let your Holy Spirit do whatever He wants, and please, Lord, don't let me have a vote on the issue. I believe with all my heart. The Word of God confirms it again and again. I know some of you testify to that. I know I can testify to this, that God honors this kind of simple prayer. So what happened to Moses? (laughs) Well, God had to send him to 40 years of God's university, 40 more years of schooling. Oh, but this is very different from Heliopolis University. Very, very different. Remember I told you at the very first message that Stephen, the first Christian martyr, in the book of Acts chapter 7, he divided Moses' life into three stages. Each of them was 40 years. And I gave you a Yusuf 
explanation of those three stages. The first 40 years, he was in the palace of Pharaoh, learning that he is something. The next 40 years with the Midianites in the desert, he was learning that he was nothing. And then 40 years with God's people in the wilderness, where he was learning that God is everything. Is everything. And that's what God is waiting for you to learn and waiting for me to learn. The first 40 years, Moses believed in Moses. Hello, believe in yourself. Are you with me? I know some of you are really feeling your toes being stepped on. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I hope that the Holy Spirit used that opportunity to just awaken you to a God is all about and what God wants in your life or He wants in my life. Moses deeply felt rejection. He was rejected by his own fellow Hebrews. Beloved, listen to me. Fear of rejection causes you to flee every time. When you believe in yourself, not in the power of God working in you, the slightest problem will turn your courage into fear, and you will run. In the past 30 years, whether it be the Church of the Apostles or leading the way, even in my darkest hours, and believe me, I had some of those. (laughs) I had some very dark, dark, dark days. But in my darkest hours, I feared not, I worried not, I was anxious not. Why? To be sure, I was very concerned, and I prayed fervently. But I wasn't worried. Why? Because whether it's the church or leading the way, it's God's idea. I did not want to do either of them. (laughs) Think about this. Would a young person of his right mind would choose to leave a global ministry and start a little church in Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, just it's not something I would choose. That wasn't my choice. Oh, I did not know what God is going to do later on. I really didn't. If I tell you, oh, I had a vision, I saw all this stuff, I'll be lying to you. I didn't. But at the time, I really did not. I even had some debates with God. And God says, all you need to do is surrender. So I decided in the end that best thing for me is to trust and obey. And that is why in the darkest hours, I don't worry. Why? This is his idea. This is his place. He called this church into being. I didn't. He did. When you know it's a God thing that you're about, when you know you're doing obedience, then you will know that God will take responsibility for his thing. <laughs> He'll take responsibility for it. I don't have to worry about it. Where did fear take Moses? Well, (laughs) it took him to a place of helplessness and hopelessness. And you can see even in the naming of his first son. See, he burnt all his Egyptian bridges. (laughs) He was rejected by his fellow Hebrews. And nothing left, right? Ah, but he got everything left because he got God. That's who is left. God. I don't know where you are. Only you do. You may be where Moses was at that point. You might be down and discouraged. You might be saying, why, God, why? Why did this happen? God, where are you? God, I know I ran ahead of you, but you promised to overrule. 
Are you taking your sweet time? Listen carefully, please. Well, I'm going to tell you. God is never too early, and God is never too late. God is always on time. He does. Well, give Him glory. Don't clap for me. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. He is. And He is working things out for what He knows to be your good. Now, you might not agree with God. You might not think it's good. It's not for your good. But He does because He sees the end from the beginning. He's working it all for what He knows to be your good. And so the desert school, the college of God, <laughs> hasn't yet quite begun when Moses ended up with the Midian. It hasn't started yet. I'm going to show you why. <laughs> Moses comes in, and he runs into a bunch of good-looking girls. They were good-looking. They were so good that he married one of them. <laughs> and he saw they're being harassed by the shepherds. What did he do? He flexed by his biceps, and he gave them a whacking. <laughs> He's still trying to do things Moses' way. As I told you, later on the Bible said Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. That was later, after school, the school of God. Why is that? Oh, because, listen carefully, meekness does not mean weakness. It's not saying he was the weakest man in the world. He was the meekest man in the world. You know what meekness means? It means power under control. And when Moses learned to place his power under the control of God, God used him mightily like very few people on the face of the earth. Are you in school right now? Graduation is on its way. Take heart. But you have to come, if you want to graduate, you have to come to this conviction. Not words, not say, oh yeah, okay, I agree. No. When you Believe it with every ounce of your being. God, without you, I can do nothing. Then you're on your way to graduation. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to cooperate with you. I don't want to resist you anymore. Use even my brokenness for your glory. Lord God, I want to obey you with every ounce of my being. Teach me that lesson that you're trying to teach me so I can graduate and move on to graduate school and then give God glory. But there may be somebody here who does not know Jesus. You've never committed your life to him. You've never come to see the forgiveness of his sins. The love that was poured out on the cross was for you and experienced the gift of eternal life. Well, today can be the day. Lord, no doubt you're speaking to me and respond in the same way. Father, all I can say is thank you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.